Well, I feel like calling off Christmas. Hello and welcome to this week's Urgent Bite, brought to you by the Royal New Zealand College of Urgent Care. My name is Guy Melrose and today we're looking at the effect of cold air on croup. Now, I had prepared this bite earlier in the week, but I've changed this introduction slightly. Part of my reflection on this topic included the fact that some things change in medicine and some things do not, and that keeping abreast of these changes is part of our CPD process. But I read about something this morning, and it upset me such that I wanted to talk about it, and it does feed into my reflections on this topic today. I grew up near Hadrian's Wall, the wall that marked the northernmost reach of the Roman Empire. The wall remains, thousands of years later, albeit in ruined form, and you can walk along its entire length and visit a number of gatehouses and forts along the way. Northumberland is a beautiful county, and Roman history is intertwined into everything, so much so that you can take it for granted. As a kid, my favourite part of the wall was actually not Roman, but it was intertwined with the wall, quite literally, and was itself hundreds of years old. It was an icon, a tourist attraction, a film set, a national heritage site, and for me it was always a sign that I was returning home, as it was perfectly viewed from the road. I'm talking here about the sycamore tree, growing out of part of the wall at Cragloff, that dipped down into a gap, perfectly framing the tree and the wall. It was known as Sycamore Gap, and it was the most photographed tree in the UK, apparently. If you've ever seen the Kevin Costner film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the scene immediately following Robin's arrival at the White Cliffs of Dover was filmed in the gap. Geographically, this was nonsense, as Northumberland is as far from Dover as you can get in the country, but Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman are walking along the wall, and they save a kid who's been stealing from the sheriff. Well, yesterday, a 16-year-old has taken it upon himself to cut this ancient tree down. Such wanton vandalism is sadly not all that uncommon, but this hits quite close to home for me. That tree had been happy and content for hundreds of years, and was the perfect example of how human influence on the land and nature can find a harmonious synergy and create something beautiful and perfect. So I've spent the morning thinking about change, how all things change, and how some things that we think will last forever do not. Change happens and is something we all deal with in all walks of life, but change caused by an act of unnecessary violence is just, well, I'm lost for words. 
But change is integral to medicine, lest we do not improve. So keeping up with change is important. But sometimes, for some things, change is not needed. Some things remain through the ages. Spring is technically here in New Zealand, after an awful winter and a pretty poor summer before that, from a weather standpoint at least, and I'm hoping that spring and summer this year will see an improvement in weather and with it a reduction in the winter urties here in New Zealand. So talking about croup today may be badly timed for those of us in the Southern Hemisphere, but the paper I'm talking about has only just come out, and I think it's still worth drawing your attention to it. Croup has always fascinated me. The noise that emanates from a small child at two in the morning is incredible, and it's definitely a case of once heard, never forgotten. It can be diagnosed from the waiting room, such as its distinctive reverberations. My first job after my house jobs was as an EDSHO in the city of Carlisle in Cumbria. Being on the border of Scotland and sitting atop the Lake District National Park, with all its majestic hills and mountains, Carlisle is beautiful, but from a meteorological point of view, it is typically English. Indeed, when I was there, we had historic flooding, and I have fond memories of commuting through snow and ice. But as an SHO, we were on our own in ED from around midnight until 8am, which, as many of you will know, are the witching hours for croup. I recall back then advising parents of the benefit of cold air for croup, but given the large area our hospital covered and the predominantly cold weather in winter, most kids had got a good lungful of cold air just by coming into the hospital. So advising this always seemed to be a bit of a moot point. But along with a steroid, stable kids with croup get reassured, advised to keep up fluids, and for a while, humid air was also advised. But it seems humid air has been shown to be of no benefit, with various studies, including a Cochrane review, showing no benefit. But I have often wondered if the cold air was still recommended. So in reading through some of the articles in the Journal of Urgent Care Medicine recently, I saw that they had linked to a paper from the journal Paediatrics, and this caught my attention. The paper is called outdoor cold air versus room temperature exposure for croup symptoms, a randomly controlled trial. It was authored by Siebert et al. in the September issue of the journal Paediatrics. They randomly assigned children with croup to either 30 minutes of outside air exposure or 30 minutes room temperature exposure after administering dexamethasone to each group they found that the cold outside air was beneficial as an adjunct to the dexamethasone in kids with moderate croup. They do mention a few limitations, not least the assessing clinicians could not be blinded, so there may be bias in their assessments after therapy, and there were the variables of agitation that can contribute to worsening croup, and this couldn't be taken into account for each group. But the paper's worth you all having a read. The paper is linked in the show notes. So as with the alcohol swab for nausea, I do like simple measures that are non-pharmaceutical and easy to administer. 
But on reflection, it seems that what I was telling parents back in Carlisle still rings true. Cold air seems to help croup. But steamy air, which was once recommended, seemingly has fallen by the wayside. So some things change, and some things stay the same. As things change, we adapt, and that is why we all need to engage with CPD. We must constantly challenge our assumptions about our knowledge, both personal and as an overarching community, and strive to be better clinicians in all areas of our practice. Change is inevitable and a vital part of our growth and development as a human species. But like needlessly chopping down an iconic tree, change for change's sake is not needed. But just like sitting and marvelling at the beauty of a sycamore tree, sitting perfectly framed against the Northumbrian sky, as you appreciate that absolutely nothing needs changing. So too, attending a CPD session in which you conclude that your practice is current and appropriate is also just fine. Not every CPD session need end in change, but it is only by engaging with CPD that we can learn whether change is really needed. And we'll be back again next week with another podcast. I look forward to seeing you all then. But for now, thanks for listening.